Maggie Rogers there with Shelley. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Our guest today, our Colin Petruni, Sean Mulcahy and Ver joins us. But we do have Colin Petruni from Thorn Harbour Health on the line. Colin, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, James. Good to be back. It's great to have you on board. Very exciting times, very necessary times. The monkeypox vaccine rollout has commenced here in Australia. Uh, you must be elated at Thorn Harbour. You've put a lot of work in. Uh, yeah, um, well, well, I'm very pleased that the, the vaccine rollout has begun, but um, it needs to be remembered that in the first phase of this vaccine rollout from the Commonwealth, we've got a very small and limited supply of, of, of vaccines coming into the state. But uh, you're right, James, it is good that progress has been made. So how many vaccine doses do we have in Victoria? Uh, three and a half thousand at this point. Okay, so that's about 1,750 people that will be vaccinated because it's a two-course dose, yeah? Uh, Yes, although um, uh, for HIV-negative men, um, it is probably um, uh, fine to to get a single dose um, at this point in time. Um, And then we'll be getting, um, obviously, a bigger... um, a bigger number of vaccines coming in September. We've got another uh, 21,500 doses coming in September. Um, so uh, the, the, it is a, it is a uh, double-dose um, regimen of the vaccine. Uh, the second dose needs to be taken, uh, administered, sorry, uh, no less than um, 28 days after the first dose, but it doesn't have to be administered you know, on day 29, if you know what I mean. Um, there's quite a bit of time afterwards when you can actually still administer the, the second dose and it will be um, effective. So it sounds like there's a bit of um, vaccine economy going on. It sounds like uh, HIV-negative people just need one dose and then maybe when there are more doses in the country, then they can get their second. Is that the case? And that might be, you know, 50 days later. Uh, yes, that's right. Now, um uh, for uh, people who um, are, are HIV positive, uh, there is a slight uh, difference in how the immune response kicks in um, after the first dose. Um, so uh, HIV positive people, um, obviously, uh, and, and if, they're, um, if they meet the selection criteria, um, could be dosed um, uh, soon after the, the 28-day uh, cutoff point. But um, no one, uh, you know, if an HIV-negative man is um, is vaccinated today, uh, then he's not going to be disadvantaged, you know, um, uh, if he has to wait, you know, um, a couple of weeks after the 20, the 28 days uh, from from today. So it sounds like the policy that's being encouraged is for for people who don't have HIV to wait until that that second shipment of doses enters the country to have their second dose. Uh, well, to have their second dose, yes. But I mean, um, we have to remember it's the twelfth of August now, um, uh, and uh, if people are getting uh, their their first dose this week. Well, 28 days later, in any case, will take us into September where we're expecting um, a further 21,500 doses. 
It's interesting, actually, because the Biden administration this week announced a vaccine-sparing policy where uh, one-fifth of a dose would be administered to some people, the rationale being that that's enough to trigger an immune response. Is that on the cards here in Australia? Uh, I have I have seen that um, information, James, and I know that the um, the Americans are pursuing that as a as a strategy to stretch out uh, the available vaccine. But I guess um, for us to go that down that route, uh, Atagi would have to have some pretty firm data that uh, a fifth of the dose of the vaccine would pro- provide a sufficient immune response to protect someone against monkeypox. Right, okay. So it sounds like the science of the American policy is a little bit up in the air. Well, uh, as I say, I've seen the reports, I guess, along with uh, yourself and others uh, about that strategy from the United States, but I haven't read uh, the research that that decision was based on. Now, obviously, uh, their Food and Drug Administration uh, 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 that isn't that is not a slack institution. So they must have some pretty robust um, data to back up that strategy. But I, I just haven't seen it. So, Colin, just winding back a little bit, who is currently eligible to receive a monkeypox vaccination? Okay, so anybody who has um, been a close contact of a known monkey case, uh, mon- monkeypox case, uh, they are eligible. Um, HIV negative and positive, sexually active gay and bisexual men who have, uh, and other men who have sex with men, um, including cis and trans men. Uh, so they're eligible. Anyone with an STI within the last uh, 12 months or intending to engage in sexual practices during overseas travel to Europe or, or um, North America before the 31st of October, um, or people who attend sex on-premises venues, also, in addition, you, um, you would be eligible if you're a sexually active uh, gay and bisexual um, MSM, including cis and trans men who are homeless or who have significant drug use or psychiatric illness, and um, sex workers who engage in sex with gay and bisexual MSM. Now, obviously, the eligibility criteria in relation to uh, monkeypox vaccination it will be subject to change and will broaden once we get those extra doses, James, in um, in September. And whereabouts in Melbourne can people go to get the vaccine? Okay. People can make vaccine inquiries at um, Thorn Harbour Health, um, both at the Toronto Clinic at uh, 200 uh, Hoddle Street here in Abbotsford, uh, also at the Centre Clinic in Fitzroy Street in Kilda, uh, Collins Street Medical Centre, um, Paran Market Clinic, of course, the Paran Shopping Centre, Northside Clinic uh, in Fitzroy North, and Melbourne Sexual Health Centre in the, in Swanson Street. Now, as for people who um, who live in regional Victoria, um, uh, the best thing to do would be to email their closest regional lo- local public health unit. So that's for um, regions like um, Ovens Murray, uh, Barwon South West, Gippsland, Latrobe. Golden Valley, um, uh, places like uh, Ballarat, the Grampians, and Loddon Mallee. Gee, Thorn Hub is really at the coalface of this of this outbreak. Uh, what's the uptake been like on the vaccine? Uh, what oh, demands has it been have been put on your service? 
Yeah, James, um, ever since um, the Commonwealth made the announcement that vaccines were going to be made available, our phones have been running off the hook and um, we're actually taking names and numbers of people who um, were then put on a wait list for um, the vaccine coming in September because we envisage that we're going to um, get through our uh, allocation of vaccines very, very quickly. But, um, you know, you say Thorn Harbour, that's coalface, but I think... You know, all of us in the LGBTIQ plus um, community are at the coalface in relation to this, and it's been amazing actually how mobilised and motivated the community community is in relation to pre- both prevention and also uptake of the vaccine. It's just been fantastic. And what about sex on premises venues? Has Thorn Harbour been liaising with them, and how responsive have they been? Uh, uh, yes, we have been liaising with them, and, and as recently as 10 minutes ago, I just came from a meeting with the Department of Health and, and the sex on-premises venues owners. The sex on-premises venue owners are kind of like um, uh, an object lesson in, in good corporate citizenship. They're really on board with um, prevention of this vaccine, uh, and um, they just want to know how they can work with us and with the Department of Health uh, to ensure that their patrons um, are kept as safe as possible. They've been fantastic. And, of course, gay bars and clubs have always been at the forefront of community education for the LGBTIQ community. Uh, what's going on with them uh, in terms of Thorn Harbour getting its community education out to the community via those venues? Um, uh, not specifically to the venues, but uh, we, um, more in, in terms of our online digital advertising um, which has been going on since May uh, in relation to... And at that time, it was more about kind of return travellers um, just to be w- um, aware of any, the onset of any symptoms. Um, uh, but now it's more more, more generally uh, in relation to um, uh, not only symptom awareness, but um, uh, vaccine inquiries as well. So, uh, and also through the, um, the dating apps, of course, uh, Scruff and Grinder and so forth, um, so, um, yeah, we are getting the message out there, but we find the most effective way to do that, James, is through digital means at this time. Wow. Okay. And what about case numbers in Victoria? What are the latest numbers? Yep. So there have been 30 um, uh, MPX case, or, uh, monkeypox uh, cases in Victoria, and of those cases, um, I think 18 or 19 of them have cleared the virus. So there would be um, around 10 or 11 um, still uh, active cases of monkeypox in in the community. But um, they are known cases to the department and uh, the department is monitoring those and also their close contacts. So I guess, you know, in a a funny kind of way, COVID has has really prepared us in a way for for the emergence of this new, um, new virus. And uh, the department has systems um, in place uh, to, to, to monitor close contacts and also um, uh, to provide support for people in isolation. Last time we spoke, you said we had a, a, a narrow window of opportunity to contain monkeypox in Australia. Do you think we've, we've actually done that? We haven't done it yet, but we're doing everything we can to keep the window open. And in terms of overseas, uh, I know Montreal and New York have been at the epicentre of the outbreaks of the uh, epidemic in in, in North America. Uh, what can you tell us about what's happening overseas? So I know that uh, there are walk-in clinics 
um, in North America and, and specifically in, in New York and in Montreal. I know that uh, a whole bunch of people recently went from Australia to the AIDS conference in Montreal. I didn't attend, but um, the feedback I got from um, Australian uh, delegates and attendees who went to Montreal, they said that they could just walk up to a pop-up pop clinic, no questions asked, and they were vaccinated for monkeypox. So obviously... Um, those jurisdictions are taking it just as seriously as we are, and everybody wants to see this virus contained. And of course, there was a spirited protest at that AIDS conference in Montreal where participants jumped up on the stage with placards uh, shouting, yes. share the shots, which was uh, a great direct action. Yes. Uh, one of the more, um, I guess, telling things about the emergence of this new virus, and it was actually also true of, of COVID, is that... Um, uh, whenever a new pathogen emerges in the world, it always runs um, a magnifying glass over the um, health inequities that exist globally. And um, uh, I think that particular protest uh, was in relation to the fact that there weren't vaccines for Africa, where uh, this um, condition has been endemic uh, for decades um, and, and affecting men, women and children, uh, particularly in Central and West Africa. And um, I think it's shameful that um, the vaccines haven't been made available for those areas. And also highlighting inequalities, health inequalities in the United States as well, which has a very um, unequitable health system. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, but um, uh, And I've heard just recently that um, in the UK they've, they've um, virtually run out of vaccine in various parts of the UK. Uh, and um, even people that work for the NHS are unable to get uh, vaccinated. Um, so in some ways, um, you know, uh, Australia being um, able to secure 450,000 doses for the country uh, was quite a coup from the Commonwealth because certainly that hasn't been the case in every jurisdiction globally. And it really sounds like you're working with the community to put that prevention infrastructure and containment in place. I think, James, as you will know, um, because uh, listeners may not be aware of this, but um, James is a veteran of um, the Victorian AIDS Council, um, <laughs> now known as Thorn Harbour Health. And, uh, uh, you know, um, many of our staff um, and a large proportion um, of our volunteers are members of the community and everybody is motivated, as I said before, and very, very immobilised around containing this virus. It's amazing, isn't it, Colin? When we were working at the coal face of HIV AIDS in the 90s at VAC, we never envisaged a monkeypox epidemic. You know, um, James, I was reflecting on this last week and I thought, you know, now that vaccines have become available for monkeypox, everybody um, obviously is very motivated to get their vaccine. And it made me remember the early days of the epidemic when protease inhibitors first became available. And, of course, they weren't available for everybody in Australia and we had to um, buy drug in from the United States and um, they were very desperate times, of course, because um, uh, people were dying of AIDS and um, they really, really needed uh, that those therapeutics. Um, and in some cases, they were too late. But um, uh, monkeypox, um, although a very, very serious um, viral condition, uh, generally does not re- result in, in death um, uh, in, in the same way that we had to face with, um, with uh, uh, AIDS in the, um, in the 90s. Absolutely. Colin Petruni, always great to chat with you. Thank you so much for joining me today on 3CR. Thanks for having me, James. Have a great weekend. You too. Cheers.
25. Colin Petruni there from Thorn Harbour Health. You are on In Your Face on 3CR.
give it time, give it time, please, a little more time. Takes a road runner just a little bit longer, dear. I wanna make up my mind, I gotta make up my mind. album Pearl, Janis Joplin there with Trust Me, you are an in-your-face on 3CR with James. While this week community activist Sean Mulcahy raised concerns about the monkeypox vaccine rollout in regional Victoria and he joins us on the line. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Sean, tell us about those concerns. Well, I think the major concern is about the vaccine supply issue. So at the moment, We have a very limited number of vaccines and they're being predominantly distributed from clinics in the inner north and in the south of Melbourne. Uh, To some degree, that makes sense. We know that internationally cases are clustered around cities, but we also have to recognise that in Victoria, there's a significant proportion of LGBTIQA plus people living outside of Melbourne. So, for example... City of Ballarat has a higher percentage of LGBTIQA plus people than City of Melbourne, yet City of Melbourne has a clinic and Ballarat doesn't. So on top of addressing the vaccine supply issues, um, and it's totally understandable at the moment that they're going to those at more risk, we also need to improve the communications as well too. It's a rather confusing process to find out uh, if a vaccine's available for people living in regional Victoria. And I think the predominant message at the moment for people in those areas is to go into the city and get a vaccination. And I guess for some people, especially disadvantaged people, that's not feasible. 
No, and it's not also the case for people that might be working particular hours that limit their ability to travel into Melbourne at times the clinics might be open. Look, at the moment there is a very limited supply and we have to accept that reality, but it's also important that the Health Minister work with her federal colleagues to ensure that we can ramp up supply and we are being told that supply will increase um, sometime in the next month or so because we don't want the um, uh, small number of uh, cases that we have from community transmission to escalate any further before we've got are probably on top of it in terms of the vaccination program. What is the community in places like Ballarat telling you about their concerns in relation to monkeypox? I think there is a lot of uh, fear and concern going on around the virus at the moment. And there's also a lack of proactive messaging to community on whereabouts you can go to access vaccinations and what kind of um, risk prevention measures we should be taking as a community as well too. So I think uh, over the coming days, it's really important that the regional public health units take a proactive approach, uh, communicating what vaccines are available within the regions, what the criteria is for access to those vaccines and whereabouts people can go if they want to um, get a vaccine themselves, including if that is into Melbourne and to which Melbourne clinics are taking appointments, because I think that will um, curb a lot of anxieties within the community. Also clearly communicating the vaccine eligibility criteria that we have at the moment while supplies are limited. And I guess that's quite confusing for some people. Uh, Well, it is. I mean, it's confusing enough for me and I've done a lot of uh, work in this space previously so that's really why we need um, our regional public health units to get on the front foot. Um, I know it's still very early days and often they're not privy to all of the information themselves but we do need to have a proactive communication strategy to reach community because I think it's also important to remember that uh, regional communities, regional LGBTIQA plus communities are already quite isolated. We don't have the same community gathering points that Melbourne communities might have. We don't have the same level of networks um, that Melbourne communities might have. So it's really important that we proactively message to community and provide that information to them to allay the fears and to provide um, information on how people can go about accessing the vaccines. How would you rate the Australian government's response to monkeypox so far? Uh, I think uh, more work needs to be done is is the uh, polite way of putting it. And I think really um, we need to get on top of getting more vaccines out there because uh, we've only got a very limited supply at the moment and they are understandably going to those communities which are most at need, which is the right approach to take. But Uh, we also need to start uh, getting more in so that we can get more out to the community as well. So that's the really important thing. And we also need to um, ensure that we're uh, getting the communications right as well too. People need to know where to go uh, to get more information on where to get a vaccine and what kind of uh, eligibility criteria there are you know, what to look for in terms of symptoms, how to take care of yourself if you do contract the virus. All of that kind of information needs to be out there and in an accessible format for the community. Because it is contained right now, but it could very easily spread like wildfire, couldn't it? 
I don't want to be alarmist about it, but I think the more that we wait and the more uh, that there are delays, the more the risk increases. That's why uh, it's encouraging to hear we'll be getting more vaccines in the next month or so, uh, but we also need to make sure that we're doing proactive messaging to the community that sets out what you can do in the event that you contract the virus or what you can do to manage the risk thereof. Sean, on another matter, it's a really vibrant time for you. And I saw on Facebook this week that you announced your candidacy after the National Tertiary Education Union elections. You're running to be the secretary of the branch for La Trobe Uni. Tell us about your campaign. Yes. yes. Thanks, James. So, Uh, For those that don't know, the National Tertiary Education Union is the union that covers workers in higher education. That's both academic staff and our incredibly valuable professional staff. For those of us who are academics, uh, we wouldn't be able to do our work without the support from professional staff. And I know uh, the students, likewise, wouldn't be able to study without the brilliant work that our professional and academic staff do. Uh, I'm based at La Trobe University and we've got a branch there and I'm running to be secretary of that branch. I've been on the branch committee previously and we're just about to go into a round of workplace bargaining. So that's where we negotiate the new workplace agreement or the instrument that sets out our pay and conditions at work. It's a really important time. We've got an ambitious agenda of what we want to achieve in terms of workplace bargaining, including a claim for 30 days paid gender affirmation leave for trans and gender diverse staff that are affirming their gender in the workplace, improvements to parental leave to make it more inclusive for trans and gender diverse parents, surrogacy leave, um, including both for the intending parents and the surrogate, and uh, for uh, foster carer leave as well too. We know a lot within our community are foster carers and it's a very important role to take and we should be putting in place uh, mechanisms to support them when they're accessing leave. So I'm really excited about the agenda that we're pushing for um, to improve conditions but also pay at La Trobe University because I know uh, it's a really tough time with... uh, the current crisis that we're in in terms of cost of living. And that's why I'm really motivated to stand and ensure that we can achieve the bold vision that we have for a better workplace at La Trobe. And of course, gender diversity inclusion is a big issue for universities. It's been a big and controversial issue uh, at the NTEU, the National Tertiary Education Union. And it seems to be one of the reasons why their elections this year are being contested with considerable vigour. Uh, Would you say that's a fair comment? I think, yeah, it's a totally fair comment. And I'm really proud to have kick-started the first campaign for gender affirmation leave at a Victorian university. We were the first university to hold a forum to kick-start our campaign. We've done petitions and we've got to a point now where our vice-chancellor, those that aren't familiar, kind of the boss of the university, has come out and shown in principle support for gender affirmation leave, which is great, but... It's going to require all of us working together to get the best form of leave possible and we're pushing for 30 days paid per annum because we know the statistics are quite shocking. About 90%, I believe, transgender Victoria estimate of trans and gender diverse workers who are transitioning or affirming their gender in the workplace will quit because of lack of support and a lack of leave is one of those key issues. So if we can win that, then I think we can set something really strong 
for both the sector and workplaces across Australia too. So it is a really important time to have um, allies of the community within these leadership roles. I'm proud to be part of the LGBTIQA plus community and um, I am hoping that people will see the work that I've done and the work that we've done um, to spearhead uh, a push for gender affirmation leave and support for trans and gender diverse workers at La Trobe and uh, back us in for another term. And are you running as part of a ticket uh, for these elections at the NTEU? Yes, yes. Uh, Our ticket's called Fighting For You because it's all really about what we can do to support our workers at La Trobe University. I'm running with Alicia Rex, who's our current uh, La Trobe University president, absolutely fantastic person that's been working to deliver uh, wages back for casual workers who had them um, stolen, basically, during uh, a spate of, um, I would say, um, not ideal governance on the part of the university in the way that it manages casual pay. And we've still got a matter before fair work at the moment. Um, And she's been working very hard on that and supporting staff through uh, the recent round of redundancies at La Trobe University, including winning one-year contracts for some staff that were affected by redundancies. I'm really proud to be standing with Alicia and the Fighting For You team at La Trobe. Sean Mulcahy, always great to chat with you on 3CR. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Likewise, and thank you as ever for having me on. It's a great pleasure. Cheers. Ciao for now. A rising political star there, Sean Mulcahy. You are an in-your-face on 3CR, and here's Ver. I grew up with a lot of green around me Brought up with the finest of the finery But burning trees are the only thing that I see I numb the thoughts with another shot of Hennessy I'm in AU but the fires here are frightening The sky is red and the streets are filled with violence People talk and they don't even know the half of it The government gets ready to sell up all that's left We're struggling to feel connection to each other We're trifling, we should have listened to our mothers When they said, baby boy, the world's your oyster Cause wait too long and it's gone with all our water How many times have you lied trying to make sense of it? How many times have you cried trying to just get free? But it feels like the only one time we even bother trying The man just kicks us back down and so we go on fighting Mama, I don't wanna go home Just let me stay another five minutes or so Mama, I don't wanna go cold But out here on the playground it's getting a little too warm me now trying to save the world fighting demons in the streets and brother do you fear me now trying to save your heart i can barely feel it beat and love do you feel it now pouring out my light trying to make some heat and heat do you feel it now the earth is heating up and we can't stop it we are the future of us we're the only ones that can stop this be be victorious and slowing this down because we're running out of options see a future for us one that's filled with nature and wild things free of those of us who would see it burn for profit trying to keep my dollars on lock yeah 
but that don't really make sense Trying to keep myself on top shit, I'm barely on top of my health Is this all that people got shit? I was thinking we were stronger than that Is this how we gonna solve this? Pretending we don't care? Is this what the world has become? Sympathy for you, I have none Trying to make your dough while your children burn in tandem Is this now all we cry in the face of oblivion? Well it's alright, fingers in your ears, just close your eyes and stand down Mama, I don't wanna go home Just let me stay another five minutes or so Mama, I don't wanna go cold But out here on the playground it's getting a little too Mama, I don't wanna go home Just let me stay another five minutes or so Mama, I don't wanna go cold But out here on the playground it's getting a little too warm Mama, I don't want no more Just praying for another five minutes of hope Mama, what the hell is this for? Working, trying to save you, but they beating down the front door Stay another Just five another minutes five or so minutes. Mama, I don't wanna go cold But out here on the playground it's getting a little too warm Mama, I don't want no more Just praying for another five minutes of hope Mama, what the hell is this for? Working, trying to save you, but they beating down the front door Mama, you are in your face on 3CR with James. And Ver joins me on the line. Ver, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I love your track. It really highlights the climate emergency. Thank you so much. So when, t- I, when I wrote the track, that was definitely something that I had in mind. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you're a really accomplished poet. So I imagine songwriting comes pretty easily to you. I was reading your bio and uh, you had your first poetry published, God, when you were 11. Yeah, um, through the International Society of Poets, it was actually, um, I started writing poetry as um, as a way to farewell my grandfather at his eulogy, at his um, his funeral. And I always um, felt, um, being quite a spiritual person, that it was almost something that he'd left behind for me when he left. And um, it's something that I had pursued ever since. Yeah, so it sounds like storytelling is kind of, you know, built into your DNA almost. Absolutely. <laughs> you could definitely tell me quite a, uh, sorry, call me quite a storyteller. So um, tell us about some of the influences on your music. I mean, you've got R&B, you've got trip hop, you've got Nordic metal. Uh, that's quite a combo. <laughs> yeah, look, um, I grew up quite um, quite into my sort of metal and quite, quite into my sort of emo scene. Um, I, I was involved in quite a lot of projects in high school, sort of progressive metal bands and that sort of thing and did quite a lot of writing for some other sort of local groups. Um, And so that definitely informed a lot of my roots. 
Um, and I guess as I started to develop um, spiritually and, and on a personal level, I started to sort of explore mantras and a lot of more sort of meditation music and the kind of music that you might find in those sorts of communities. Um, but I never really found that there was anything that um, sort of combined the the essence of each of those in a way that um, that was quite commercially viable. So I decided that that was going to be part of my mission. <laughs> so Mama is part of your upcoming EP, The State of Things. Tell us about The State of Things. Sure. So the, the EP talks um, quite a lot about the state of the world in um, the state of climate change, um, global politics, corruption and human disconnection. Um, I started to write the EP sort of coming out of um, bushfires in Australia and going into the COVID-19 lockdowns. And there was so much hopelessness around that um, I, I really felt like it was important to to share the insights of what I've learned through my own sort of spiritual journey and um, personal development journey with the rest of the world and, and um, sort of help people to have something, uh, a way to resolve their feelings after going through everything that we've been through in the last couple of years. Something to do with that hopelessness and, and maybe a direction for a better world. And you're not afraid to confront political issues, current political issues. Uh, it sounds like politics is very much at the forefront of your songwriting. Absolutely. I, I think um, in, in the last couple of years, climate change especially has come so much to the forefront of everybody's attention. And through the COVID-19 lockdowns, we were able to see that individual reduction wasn't really enough to sort of curb the climate crisis. And there really was a lot more needed um, in terms of action by governments and industries. So I felt like um, the function of art has always been to make commentary on society. And so as an artist, I felt very much a, a personal responsibility to, to make that commentary. Absolutely. And you're not afraid to kind of, you know, get political. And it sounds like, you know, you're doing it in a very DIY, do-it-yourself way. You know, it sounds like you're a very kind of, you know, independent artist. Yeah, absolutely. And um, a big part of the the audiovisual EP that's going to be released later this year was actually having um, all my closest friends and family be a part of it as well. So <laughs> you'll see a lot of my friends and family as background extras and that sort of thing in the visual side of the, of the EP, which was quite exciting and quite special for me to be able to um, have that opportunity. Um, but definitely creating quite a story and um, not being controlled by somebody else's sort of perspective or the commentary that that or the the essence of the story that should be told. Um, I've always wanted to have absolute control over that. <laughs> definitely very much a do-it-yourself kind of approach to things that I can keep the, the message true to the core of what it should be and, and make sure that I'm connecting with people. I'm fascinated by this audio-visual element of your EP. Tell us, you know, how do you make an audio-visual EP? Like, you know, how do you format it? Give us some of that technical information. Yeah, look, with a lot of time and money, <laughs> a lot of things are possible. Um, so I was able to team up with um, Soft Focus Media and Taymanari Production, and we were able to create um, basically a music video to accompany every single one of the tracks on the, um, on the EP. Um, both as individual clips and as a continuous theatrical short film. So the idea there is that the, the story can be something that you can watch, like it's a movie, or you can listen to the story, um, or if you, or you can absolutely do both and have that fully immersive experience. 
Um, the visual side tells a story of transformation where I go from a sort of evil, more sort of destructive, demon-y kind of guise of myself um, and uh, be- become transported through a journey through my inner self and inner world where I become transformed into the benevolent side of myself. And it's it's very much served as a visual aid for the key message in the EP, which is to inspire people to step into their divinity and, and step into their true capacity and potential. Wow, it sounds visually stunning. Thank you so much. It, <laughs> quite a lot of collaboration from a lot of artists across Victoria and across the world in terms of costuming and um, the musical input as well has gone into it. So quite a huge project. Quite a lot of um, collaborators have worked with me on making it a reality and I have nothing but pride and joy (laughs) um, and excitement to be able to share it with the world. Wow. So tell us about some of the people you collaborated with. Um, Sure. So um, collaborating, um, I worked with someone called Hera Wing and Tetrick, which... um, provided some costuming for the Benevolent Guys um, and an absolutely fabulous, fabulous headdress by a artist called Vodessa Ferry who makes them all by hand. Um, there's crystal inlays, gold lace, you name it, it is in the headdress. Definitely gives a very regal fantasy feel to everything um, that I definitely couldn't have accomplished without the collaboration from those visual artists. Wow, it does sound absolutely visually stunning. Uh, tell us a little bit more about some of these costumes. Sure. So the um, the destructive guys, the, the name of the character is um, Omega the Corruptor. Um, and they wear this big black robe, which was made for me in um, by a film studio in the UK that was sent over, um, along with a death mask and black silver headdress, which was also sent over from Germany. I won't, I won't try to pronounce the name <laughs> of the artist, um, but like, um, they're definitely credited in the photos and in the, in the, in the music video credits, so you can find them there. Um, and the, 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 the Benevolent Guys um, was something that was a collaboration between Harrowing and Tetrick, um, and is almost like a, um, like a heavenly kimono, you could say. <laughs> Definitely some um, Asian inspiration and Japanese motifs in the costume, um, and with quite a sort of futuristic and ethereal vibe. Wow. So that must have been like enormously kind of, you know, exciting collaborating with people and designing these costumes. What an incredible journey. Absolutely. Um, I mean, COVID, the blessing of it all was that it gave me an additional two years to sort of continue working on the project and continue running it through the middle until I was able to get a little bit more juice out of it. Originally, the visual side of the project was just going to be shot on mobile phones with my mates. <laughs> and it grew into something much bigger, and I was able to make those connections with that extra time. So just, you know, trying to take something that was um, maybe not so pleasant and turn it into a blessing um, actually not only became the way that the EP was made, but a core part of the message as well. And I love the international flavour of the collaborations. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think um, connecting with people all over the world um, or, you know, having a universal sort of core of my of what I do has really always been really important to me. Um, I try really hard not to write music about things like being in a relationship, being single, being breaking up or living for the weekend. I try to sort of write about universal truths, things that are universal human experiences like 
loss, suffering, longing, loneliness, belonging, and redemption, and try to write those themes as much as I can into my music because those are the kinds of things that whoever you are, no matter where you're from, there's a way that you can message it speaks to a part of you. Um, crossing about borders, crossing boundaries, um, and crossing political limits, I think, is all quite important in today's age. So you've really built on your training in Reiki, sound healing, yoga, and naturopathy. Absolutely. Healing in as many modalities as I can has always been quite crucial, um, especially to the core of writing my music. Um, the music does have quite a lot of Sanskrit mantras worked in through some of the tracks and also some Tuvan throat singing as the introduction for the EP, all sort of to act as spiritual primers, if you will, to sort of ready the listener to receive the messages within the songs. Yeah, so it's not just a political work, it's also a healing work, a therapeutic work. <laughs> Absolutely. I would I would 100% say that my the biggest ambition of my music is to be consciousness-raising, um, consciousness raising in the sense that it's able to sort of lift people out of a state of mundanity, lift up their frequency on a spiritual level, um, and allow them to sort of get a little bit more juice out of life. Yeah, wow. So it sounds like when people listen to your EP uh, and watch it as well, because it's visual as well as, you know, audio, it sounds like they're going to feel like they've had a therapy session. I certainly hope so. <laughs> wow, that's value for money. Thank you so much. Yeah, look, it's um, it's uh, being a healer and being a helper is um, really at the core of who I am and everything that I do. Um, and I think, you know, as much as it's lovely to be able to work one-on-one -on -one with people as a, as a naturopath or as a Reiki healer or even as a meditation or yoga teacher, I think um, being able to sort of express a healing vibration across the airwaves um, was always going to be able to reach more people than I can on a one-on-one -on -one sort of level. And can we, uh, can we anticipate seeing you on stage performing? I, I bet you you'll do an incredible stage show. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I actually do have an upcoming gig next Wednesday at Open Studios in Northcote. Doors will be at 7 o'clock for a 7.30 start, and tickets will be $10 available at the door. Fantastic. Now, when can we expect your EP to be out? When can people get it? So the next chapter of the EP will be launching in September and the full EP and visual album will be available on YouTube and all other platforms in November. Fantastic. Well, Ver, it's very exciting. Thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. It's been great. Thank you so much for having me, James. Cheers. Bye. And that was Ver. You are on In Your Face on 3CR. And if COVID has shown anything... No government in Australia has had a planned approach to safety in terms of workers under COVID. Everything's been done knee-jerk. So whilst you've got market capitalism operating from a market perspective, we're only ever going to get knee-jerk things which involve huge exploitation, inequity and racism. None of these things are being planned or addressed in any long-term way. It's all stopgap and knee-jerk, and it is because of the role of the market. Subscribe to 3CR, workers' rights and union struggles. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe 
or call the station on 03 9419 8377. And we'll catch you next week on In Your Face. Sometimes when this place gets kind of empty Sound of their breath fades with the light I think about the loveless fascination Under the Milky Way tonight Curtain down Memphis Lower the curtain down on right I got no time for private consultation under the Milky Way tonight Wish I knew what you Might have known what you were
in your face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.